Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. Welcome to the to the first chapel service of the winter term. Glad you're here. And I think I see some faces that I haven't met yet, some folks that I don't know. Um, anybody, this is your first chapel service as an NBC student? Will you raise your hand? Everybody else, welcome them. Uh, tonight's chapel, the, sur the title of tonight's chapel message is No Guts, No Glory. I know it's not a Christmas chapel title. <laughs> uh, we'll start that tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, and then uh, the next two weeks of chapel service before, our, before Christmas break. But back in October, uh, Dr. Powers preached in chapel, and he said that instead of our theme, which is, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. See, it's only been two weeks. Let's try it one more time. We are transformed into Christ's likeness. Uh, he said that maybe our theme ought to be no guts, no glory. So I've been thinking about it, and I've been looking at the passage, and so that's kind of where we're headed tonight, just, just so you know. Um, so if you don't like the title, blame Dr. Powers. And he'll take all the blame that you can give him. Uh, you know him well enough to do that. Um, our uh, projector died, so we're using song sheets. I had 80 song sheets, and I ran out. So if you're not close to one, or if the person next to you doesn't have one, would you share? Make sure that they can sing with you. We were in your presence when we walked in. You've been every place we've been but you've helped us now to recognize how close you are and how willing you are to, to let us see you, to let us sense you, to let us know you in new and powerful ways, in deep and meaningful ways. Pray make that so for everyone in this room. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The text is the text for our theme for the year, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Though we're going to start with verse 7 this evening. There's a Bible close to you who would grab that. And then let me read the scripture for you. Start with verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? It's not a rhetorical question. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, well then how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory. Now in comparison with the surpassing glory, and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we, you and I, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All in favor say aye. aye. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, we all, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is, who is the Spirit. The word of the Lord. No guts, no glory. He said, he said stand right there. He said, stand right there. Okay, now, now look at me. Look at me. And so I looked at him, and I thought to myself, you know, he, he's probably going to say this won't hurt much. Instead, he said, he said, look at me. This is going to hurt a lot. This is going to take all you've got. Look at me. Look at me. So I looked at him again more intensely this time. And the longer I looked, the brighter he got. And the more I saw him for who he is, the more I saw me for who I was. Broken, wounded, sinful, selfish, prideful, stubborn, isolated, withdrawn, blotchy imperfection in the presence of pure glory. But he saw me that way too and wanted me to stay. And so I did. And I looked into his eyes and he looked into my heart and then I began to change, or, or better, he began to change me. My brokenness was made whole. My woundedness was healed. My sinfulness was cleansed. My selfishness forgiven. My pridefulness was humbled. My stubbornness was melted. My isolation was engaged. My being withdrawn, embraced. I was beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And I was being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. That's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote his letter to, to the Corinthians. It's really his second letter. The Corinthian Christians were struggling with living out their faith. They were wrestling with spiritual pride and immaturity. Spiritual pride, there's a contradiction in terms, isn't there? They were always falling short, always falling short of their potential in Christ. 
And, and they weren't really too sure what to think of Paul. I mean, he'd already written them a couple of times, and one of the letters you'd not read in polite company. But Paul took their concerns and their condition head on, and he reminded them of who he was in Christ, of who they were in Christ, and who they were all to become in Christ. So he takes them on this theological, took them on this theological field trip, and, and so he took them to Moses. And the time that Moses met with God, met with God on Mount Sinai. Now you know the story. You can read it in Exodus 30, 24 through 34, way too long for this evening. But if you want to see the details, that's where it is. Just remind you of a couple of things. Moses was invited by God to come to the mountaintop to receive stone tablets, handwritten stone tablets. And on the stone, God wrote his law and the commandment, instructions for the people. And while Moses was gone, people got restless. Then the people got rebellious. And then they got their own religion and set up a golden calf made out of, made out of earrings and whatever gold they could, and off they went. And the noise interrupted God and Moses' conversation. He comes down from the mountain. He breaks those handwritten tablets. He melts the gold and lets them have a sip, calls the people to repentance, and then intercedes for God on their behalf. These people who were restless and then got rebellious and then set up their own religion. And in the middle of all that mess, God's, Moses says to God, show me your glory. The man had guts. The man was nervy, but he cared about his people. He didn't want to go from where they were to where God wanted them to be without God's presence. He said, don't ask us to go if you're not going. And he needed the reassurance that God was really in who he was who he said he was, God said, you know, the thing that you're asking me to do, you can't, that can't happen. Nobody can see my face and live. But let's set this up this way. There's a place in the rock where we'll meet in the morning. You find your place in that rock, and, and I will pass by, my glory will pass by, and as I pass by, you'll be able to catch a glimpse. So next day, up early, found a place to stand. God does what he said he'd do, describing who he says he is. And Moses catches that glimpse, and he bows down and he worships. What Moses doesn't know until he gets down the mountain, what Moses doesn't know is that his face is shining, that his face is radiant, glowing, because he'd been in the presence of God. In fact, by the time he gets down the mountain, his face is still so bright that the people can't look at it, so he has to wear this veil over his face. Everybody know the story? No guts, no glory. They knew he had been with God. They knew he had been with God. Even, if, even though the glory didn't stay and the radiance didn't shine for all the rest of his life, they knew he had been with God. Paul also knew what it was like to see the glorified presence of God He's on his way to Damascus to, to persecute some Christians. Paul's knocked off his horse by the blinding light of the presence of the Lord. That'll get your attention. 
But God is gracious to him too. I mean, in the same way that he allows Moses to say the kinds of things that he says, that Moses says to God. He's gracious to Paul. This guy that is on the opposite side of where he is, he's gracious to Paul, and he says, I'll offer you a new life if you'll take it. Want it? You can move in a new direction if you'd like. Would you like to? In the flash of that blinding light and then on his back in the dust in the road, Paul makes a choice to choose to go with God. Mike Goff said in his preaching, Christian preaching sermon last month, one brief encounter with the risen Christ, Paul realized that he was so in the dark that it took him three days to regain his sight. And like, po like Moses, Paul's never the same. Paul spent the rest of his life shining the light of God into darkened places, revealing the light of the gospel to whoever would listen, and shining that light and trusting that light to lead him as he made his way home. Unlike Moses, Paul's face didn't shine. It was a little bruised because he fell off the horse, but it didn't shine. But they knew that he had been with God because of the way he lived his life. No guts. No glory. But his theology trip doesn't end there. The good news that Paul has for the Corinthian Christians is that seeing God's glory isn't reserved just for a privileged few. Seeing God's glory isn't just for saints. It's not just for ministers and preachers and missionaries and musicians. Beholding the glory of the Lord is, was, is for every believer. Let me say that again. Beholding the glory of the Lord is for every believer. All in favor say aye. aye. All of us. But instead of it killing them, it gives them life. Instead of wiping them out, it makes those people all that they were meant to be. Instead of blinding them, now they can see things for what they really are. Instead of destroying them, it makes them whole. It makes them holy. And so you could write at the end of this chapter, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. The verse describes what was happening in the lives of those who were fixing their gaze on the Lord, but it was also an invitation to those folks who weren't beholding the Lord in his full glory yet. Not just a description of what was, but also an invitation of what could be. But the glory of the Lord that Paul was saying they could behold was not blinding light this time. It's not flash of lightning. It's not a luminous presence. The glory of the Lord that they'd see this time wouldn't leave their faces glowing so bright that nobody could look at them. No, the glory of the Lord that every Christian in Corinth could behold was Jesus. Jesus. 
the glorified, reflected image of God. The Apostle John said it was so. And the Word became flesh. Remember he writes, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. One writer put it this way, to see Jesus is to see the Father. To behold Jesus' glory is to behold the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. To contemplate Jesus, who is in the Father's image, is to be transformed into that image. The writer goes on to say, the effect of continuous beholding is that we are continuously transformed. Let me say that one more time. The effect of continuous beholding is that we are being continually transformed into the likeness of Christ, ever increasingly so, ever increasingly so from glory to glory. Now, let me clarify one thing here in case I need to that the glory that Paul writes about here is not the glory that we think it is. It's not an honor. It's not a medal. It's not an award. It's not about being noticed. The glory is not about glowing faces. It's not about earning praises. It's not about being adored. It's not about trophies and reward. This glory is not about us. It's about Jesus and being changed into his likeness. Amen? So being transformed from glory to glory means being transformed from Christ-likeness to Christ-likeness or being transformed from Jesusness to Jesusness. So how do we do that? How, how do we do this beholding as in, a, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord? Well, we could uh, do what lots of people do, and we could set up a new bunch of rules to keep. We could sell all that we have and move off to a monastery because we know how tough it is to make that kind of beholding happen here. Uh, we could decide that it's just too hard, and we'll get by the best we can. We could ignore this open invitation to be transformed into Jesusness go on our way and leave all that glory stuff to somebody else. Or we can do what Paul said to the Corinthians they could do in, another, in his other letter to them. He said, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, to continuously behold the glory of the Lord is to live each day, each moment for him. To continuously behold the glory of the Lord is to make sure that there is nothing in our lives that gets in between him and us. To continuously behold the glory of the Lord means that we intentionally guard ourselves and guide our eyes and move our lives so that we're in tune with him.
In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning asks, asks some questions that help me with this process. He says, he says, how long will it be before we discover that we can't dazzle God with our accomplishments? How long? How long will it be until we acknowledge that we need not and cannot buy God's favor? How long? How long until we admit that if we don't, that we don't have it all together and happily accept the continuing gift of grace? How long? And let me ask, how long, how long will it be until we'll listen continuously to Jesus when he says to us, stand right there. Look at me. L- look at me. This is going to hurt a lot. This is going to take all you've got. Look at me. Look at me. And as we do, he will continue the process of transforming us into his likeness. From glory to glory. From glory to glory. From glory to glory. From glory to glory. Final thing has to be said here. The glory to glory process doesn't end, does it? Does it? Not a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Doesn't end. It will continue until he comes in his presence again. When Jesus appears, we shall behold him face to face, and then our transformation will be complete. All in favor say aye. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. The Apostle John wrote in his first letter, he said, Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. So the question for us is, what are we willing to give in order to be transformed? What are we willing to do to continuously behold him. Who are we willing to be so that he can change us from glory to glory to glory to glory? What steps will we take so that people will see the Jesusness in us? At the end of one of his books, there's a Spanish Christian writer that I'm just getting introduced to, at the end of his book, he ends with this prayer. May God deny you peace and give you glory. No guts. Glory.
sing it with me. We pray by your grace that we will behold, continuously behold your glory. Pray, make it so. In your name, amen. You're dismissed. Go in his glory. <laughs>